Hello, and welcome to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. This is part five of a series in which Dorje Lopan Dr. Hanlai teaches about the five Buddha families, a tantric organizing principle for understanding our own original wakefulness. Getting to know the five Buddha families can allow us a better understanding and recognition of the nuances and qualities of our own awakened nature, like a colorless light when refracted. Urban Dharma is a Buddhist temple in the heart of Asheville, North Carolina. We are supported by your generosity and by our online store, TibetanSpirit.com. To learn more about us, come visit our temple in person, or look us up online at UDharmaNC.com. Thanks for listening. Yes. I'm confused. Why do we have families? Hmm? Why do we have Buddhist families? If we're not supposed to be a part of a family. Uh, these are tools, pedagogy. Uh, in the same way that we, a, what, mm, a... Need to also cook. Irish Greek. Yeah, Myers Briggs, you know, uh, Harry Potter Sorting Hat, uh, you know, no, but really, more like you know, like like a way a botanist or, or a zoologist will say, you know, there are mammals, there are reptiles, there are this, but you know, there's no reptile going around. I'm a reptile. <laughs> I mean, it's human beings need to kind of right categorize. categorize things and figure out how to navigate this, you know kind of seemingly confusing place. Mm-hmm. So likewise, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. It's not like you're not supposed to belong to a family. Mm-hmm. That's not the point either. The point is that this is a tool for you to make sense of what is. Mm-hmm. Why? Because at this state of our development, we are incapable of simply relating with what is. Mm-hmm. And we're always relating with things with concepts. And our concepts are confused. They're contrived, but they're confused. This is a set of concepts, contrived, but not as confused. (laughs) So we rely on this to remove confusion. When confusion is removed, these concepts also dissolve. And of course, you know, if I put up a, you know, poster, a flyer that says, three Sundays we'll talk about nothing in particular, I don't think you'll be here. <laughs> it's also the marketing, you know, reasons for having five Buddha families. <laughs> I have done that before, but you can't pull that up too many times. They figure it out after a while. Six Sundays on nothing. People came for all six Sundays. Do that too often. Cry wolf too often. And it's not going to work. <laughs> but it's, it's not that static either. That I'm over here. I'm this little family. Oh, no. I mean, you're everywhere. Yep. 
Like we all have, for example, on the on the level of contaminated, we all have the five clashes, the five afflictive emotions, and we all have the five wisdoms. Yeah, so now let's look at yeah, uh, five wisdoms. Uh, I want to call your attention to there's an, a website that is very. Um, it's reliable, it's good, uh, good teachings are there. Um, Alex Berzin, uh, the Berzin Archives, and so uh, B R Z I N, so just look for that, you know, Berzin Archives. And you can do a lot more research on this topic and many other topics on Buddhism, on Buddhist culture, Buddhist history. Uh, he is a Alex Berzin, is probably, I've only seen him from afar. Uh, once or twice he's one of the kind of senior figures in the transmission of Buddhism to the West B-E-R-Z-I-N B-E-R-Z-I-N Berzin so he has a lot of material there Uh, so um, so he, he he says okay let's 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 look at it so I'm I'm sort of you know using him as a uh, a place for us to start this discussion. Uh, so he says, okay, so, so we have all these like groups of five, 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 five that we have matched up with the five Buddha families and all of that. It's almost like we could start just about anywhere. Right? So one place to start is, uh, okay, good, so it's not on this chart, but it is on this chart, maybe. Oh yeah, but forget about this long one, it's a little bit intimidating. So this should be like glossary. Yeah? <laughs> so let's just look at this. So now if we look at these five yeah, and say when we look at a person, uh, when you look at yourself and you ask, you sort of like, what, what, what are the different dimensions to my being? What are the different dimensions to my being? And when I say I, when I kind of, you know, move around in the world, what are the dimensions? Now, of course, depending on, you know, you could come up with all kinds of things. But here, one way to help us understand what does it mean to be in the world Right to be to be, it says that there are five um, dimensions that we can think of. There is the mental emotional dimension that is occurring all the time. Right, there is the mental emotional aspect that is occurring uh, all the time, and that falls under the Vajra family. Then, there are verbal aspects when, when we're sort of being in the world, right? To communicate with people verbally. Right? So then that's the verbal aspect or speech. And that is the Padma, the Western direction. So you can add to that. That's the speech. 
So we have mind, we have speech. And then even coarser than that. So mind is sort of the most subtle aspect of that being. Then less subtle is the speech aspect. Now, now coarser than that would be physical. Right? Our actions is another dimension of our being. And that is the Buddha family. The Buddha family. Body. So body, speech, mind in that vertical axis is there. And if you remember from last week, I said earlier, historically, earlier forms of Tantra speak of only three families. And these are the three families. The Buddha family, the Vajra family, and the Lotus family. Uh, In like action Tantra, performance Tantra, which is also historically the earlier forms of Tantra that were kind of revealed in the world. They talk about only three. So at that time, you know, they only needed three to kind of talk about the range of human experience and the range of enlightenment. Because this is really about all of confusion and enlightenment organized into these principles. So, so, so three aspects of our being is body, speech, mind, which is these three. Lotus on top is speech. Buddha in the center is actions or body. And Vajra is mind. Three. Then now you have Ratna and Karma, right? The other two families. The horizontal axis. There, Ratna is uh, qualities. Ratna is what we call uh, qualities. So if you think about your sort of um, a dimension of your being, right? There is the mental, emotional, there is the verbal, there is the, fi- there is the physical. And then all of us have like certain qualities or characteristics. So that, it says, to belong to Ratna. Then, not only that, not only having qualities or characteristics, these qualities or characteristics kind of manifest then that's called activities. So that's in the karma family. Activities. As in, when these qualities or characteristics kind of manifest. Now, of course, you can see that in a way you could say, well, this is kind of arbitrary. You're kind of like splitting hair here. Couldn't you say that uh, qualities is part of mind? And activities is part of body. Yeah, you can. Now, then you have three families. But if you want to talk about five families, well, let's split hairs, you know? And you're like, whoa, it's splitting hairs. It's like, yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> but that said, you know, in one of the visualization practice, those of you who are familiar with this, they said that in your heart center, you're supposed to see the mantra. <coughs> right? the letters of the mantra sitting in the heart. And what, what should the size of that, those mantras be? 
Size of the 12 point times zero. Yeah, 12 point uh, Helvetica, preferably. It's the size of a brush that's got one hair on it. No, 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 that's two cores. One hair split by 60 parts. The size of one hair split by 60 parts, and let that be the tip of that pen and write those syllables. Buddhists love splitting hair. <laughs> of course, it's not about splitting hairs. It's about how fine that awareness needs to be. Because if you think of big, you know, it's all out of focus. Think of something big and it's like... Think of something really fine and subtle then it's like, you know, hair-thin awareness. Anyway, sidetrack. So if we think about the dimensions of being, these are the five. And we can easily see how through these five dimensions, karma is created. Karma, both positive and negative karma, is created through these five. And so this is our situation. Sometimes positive karma, sometimes negative karma. Created through these five. But, Buddhists, awakened beings, they have these five, but these five transform. Completely free from faults. And so there then we talk about the body being free from faults, right? Mm. Uh, the body being free from faults means, you know, plastic surgery. <laughs> uh, no. No. Uh, sort of ethical conduct surgery, right? <laughs> Removing all actions that cause harm to self and other. Right? Eloquent speech. So none of Buddha's actions uh, bring harm to anything or anyone, but instead uh, um, support uh, and protects. Uh, Buddha's speech is the speech that is free from Right? The four D's. Deceptive speech, remember? Divisive speech. Uh, destructive speech. And distracting speech. Those are the four negative speech. Out of the ten non-virtues, those are the four. What was the first one? Uh, deceptive. Lying. Ordinarily, they say it's lying, uh, you know, hurtful speech or harmful speech, harsh words, stuff like that. But easier to remember if you just remember the four D's deceptive, destructive, divisive, distracting, which is what idle speech is. Blah, 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 just, you know. The most difficult of all the ten non-virtues is that one.
Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and decisive? Divisive. Divisive? Yeah, divisive. Um, yeah. Kind of like cause dissension. Go here and say this to this person, go there and say that to that person, watch them fight. Then <laughs> 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 uh, destructive, then yeah. deceptive. Right? So, speech that is purified of that. And instead of that, you know, they say the 60 melodious qualities of speech. You could go look it, look it up, you know, 60. Buddha's speech have those 60 qualities. Uh, and in terms of the body, we say it has the 32 major uh, kind of characteristics of the body of a Buddha and 80 subtle characteristics. So it's 112 qualities to Buddha's body. Uh, if you read through the list, it's a little bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, Buddhists work in mysterious ways. Wait, that's God or something. <laughs> um, but the important point, actually, even about those those hundred and twelve qualities, is that um, less literally, is that it says that each of those physical traits. I mean, they're they're obviously sort of physical traits that meant something within the context of Indian culture, you know, the, the, the Indian standards of beauty. And so then they say that Buddhas have the most beautiful of bodies. They have those 112 characteristics. Um, but the inner teachings will say that those 112 characteristics are physical signs of inner qualities. And so one of the weird ones is that um, Buddhas have tongues that are so long that if they stretch it out, it touches their forehead. Hmm. Yeah. So try it, go ahead. <laughs> no, not yet. No. <laughs> and you can't make yourself a Buddha by stretching your tongue everywhere. <laughs> In the same way that Buddhas are free from attachments, you do not become free from attachments by simply throwing out attachments out the window, willy-nilly. You have to skillfully decide what attachments are good to have right now and what attachments are harmful to have right now. Attached to coming to urban dharma, good thing. <laughs> Attached to good weather, I need to go away from urban dharma, bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, we think, oh, Buddhists are free from attachment. It's like Buddhists should not have any attachment. So, I mean, joking aside, some people practice Buddhism, become completely kind of dull because they have become detached. So they walk around like zombies and have very flat emotional lives, which are certainly not Buddhas, more like zombies. <laughs> I have a friend who tells me that his wife complains that you used to be interesting, now you're just Buddhist. <laughs> 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 so we can't 
example, you know. You don't want to be accused of that. Like it used to be interesting, now it's just Buddhist. <laughs> um, so another quality is how this is a good one. Um, Buddhists, their fingers and their toes have these weird, like, web-like things. Like frogs, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they're a web. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> it's supposed to be beautiful. <laughs> I don't remember what that inequality is. Oh, oh. Then, so the tongue is that... Mm, it's the result of having completely given up deceptive speech. So trustworthiness. Trustworthiness. No longer lie. And this, I don't know if it is Indian tradition or Tibetan tradition, but I, I know Tibetans will say, and each animal has one of these qualities mm-hmm. in them. You want to guess which animal they talk about? Snake. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes snakes, okay? <laughs> Dog. Associated with loyalty, trustworthiness. Compassion. Yeah. No, there is trustworthiness. That they don't lie. Yeah. Yeah, they're very truthful, not like cats. <laughs> Sneaky. Dogs, no. Just very honest, a little bit stupid, but honest. <laughs> not much self-esteem, but honest. <laughs> so they say every animal has one of Buddha's 112 characteristics. They're physical. Um, so yeah, the the web hands and feet. I don't know. Ducks, frogs. <laughs> Ducks. <laughs> um, that some art historians have said it could be based on people looking at Buddha statues, and at a time where the 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 artistic ability isn't there yet to have fingers like that, so you have to web them when you carve them from stones so that you don't break. So then that kind of resulted perhaps in people thinking that Buddhists actually have web (laughs) fingers. I don't know, it's a little bit sacrilegious, but that's okay. (laughs) Buddhists are completely free from affliction, so no fear of pissing them off. artists will be able to make statues. That's right, right, right. So that artists, you know, can make statues without having statues with broken fingers that they can't sell. Yeah, so compassion. <laughs> so these hundred so 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 physically, you know, it's said to be the most beautiful physical form because they have overcome these clashes. They've given up these. So then um, Mind as well, body, speech, and mind. So, so these qualities that we talk about and characteristics within us, they, they could be kind of distorted, right? Kind of like self-confidence can turn into arrogance easily yeah. if it is not pure. 
Likewise, activities. We act in the world in such ways that we think is actually benefiting others, but it could be harming others because our personal agenda is not completely out of that picture. So it's not completely kind of altruistic. So now, let's look at the five um, wisdoms. So the five wisdoms, when they are wisdom, of course then it's in a purified state. But let's not start there. Let's start with what are these five wisdoms in the contaminated state where we are. And what they are is, so if you be, now if you look at these five wisdoms, so we start with mirror-like, which is the eastern direction on this chart. Yeah, the mirror-like. So, so at, the, at the level of this wisdom being obscured or contaminated, yeah, this wisdom being obscured or contaminated, then this mirror-like wisdom is the ability to take in information. In the same way that no matter what objects appear in front of the mirror, the mirror takes it. It doesn't say, ooh, you're kind of ugly. I'm not, I'm not taking yeah? No, the, the, the reflection just turns up. So the ability to take in information. So that's in the kind of contaminated state. Then, moving clockwise, we go to um, the um, equanimity, or um, the equalizing, or the sameness uh, wisdom. But in its contaminated state, uh, this is... uh, the ability to bring together all this like different information and to kind of see a connection to, to connect to kind of organize uh, to say this is like this which is like this to this to this to this uh, equalizing in that sense bringing together organizing then in the Again, contaminated state, the third awareness or the third wisdom is the discriminating or discernment or individualizing. Individualizing. So then this is the ability to know. If the previous ability is to make connections, this one is to distinguish. To distinguish, to individuate whatever information it is that is coming in. So, in the contaminated state, the previous one downplays differences. This one exaggerates differences. This third one. And the fourth is... mm, which is once you have kind of individuated or identified, then you do something with it. So it's called the all-accomplishing. Yeah? The, 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 on, on the pure state, it's called the all-accomplishing wisdom. But in the 
kind of contaminated or even neutral state, uh, we're talking about um, to engage with it in order to do something. Then underlying all of it is the one in the middle, the all-encompassing space in, in our list here, or the Dharma Datu, those of you who know this terminology. which is to know in, in a more basic way than the first one, which is to take in information. This is sort of simply to know. And in that sense, this, this central one is the basis of the other four. That basic ability to know. Right? In, in its kind of neutral or contaminated state. Now, let's talk about it in terms of uh, wisdom. So in a Buddha, so what we just described is in a sentient being, like you and me, in states, varying states of confusion. But in the state of Buddha, uh, of being awakened, mirror-like, right, that mirror-like quality, there's no distortion and no judgment in terms of what it takes in. There's no distortion. There's no distortion, no judgment, no exaggeration. It takes in. So it's that kind of wisdom. It doesn't reject. It doesn't like want things to last longer or want things to go away faster, as long as conditions are there, the experience is there. Uh, next, the equalizing is, here we're talking about a wisdom that arises from seeing that all experiences lack permanence, lack um, inherent existence, and that they are equally liberated. It's that kind of wisdom. Then the third, the, this wisdom of discernment or discriminating awareness, is a Buddha's ability to also relate to every situation and every being in the way that is most helpful to that individual or the being. It's it's sort of the previous one is the ability to, if we want to look at it in terms of Buddha's relationship with others, it's this equalizing relationship. And there's no favoritism going on. There's no a preference to work with certain situations and and a dislike in working with other situations. A preference for this kind of persons and less for that kind of person. No, equalizing. But the discernment is in within this context of equalizing, maintaining still the ability to respond most effectively to any situation, to any being that Buddhas encounter. That's the wisdom of discernment. Then the all-accomplishing wisdom is the wisdom that then can translate that into an effect, producing effects in the world producing effects in the world. 
then all of this is based on the central wisdom, the wisdom of the Dharma Dhatu. And here, remember, in that confused state, in the state of sentient beings, is the ability to simply know. right? But here is knowing the reality state of all things. Knowing how things appear, knowing how things exist. Knowing their, their you know, Buddhist jargon, knowing their mode of appearance, and knowing their mode of abiding. The ultimate and the relative truth, completely realized. That's the wisdom of the Dharma Dhatu. Now, um, now we match that up with the five afflictive emotions. So let's work backwards. So this wisdom of the Dharma Dhatu is the wisdom that knows everything, right? The way they appear and the way they truly are, their relative status, their ultimate status, right? All of that. That's like the wisdom aspect. Now, in the confusion aspect, in the um, afflicted aspect, is what we call ignorance. Because in the state of ignorance, you also accept everything. No problem. Like zoned out. Completely. And I'm well, sure, everything's fine. You know, causes of suffering, causes of happiness, cannot distinguish. So in the state of ignorance, in the state of dullness. Um, then you go to um, this um, accomplishing, right? So if you go backwards to karma, all accomplishing. There, the kind of in, spoken of in terms of an afflictive emotion, ecclesia, it's jealousy. It's jealousy. Mm. Here, what we're talking about is that the all accomplishing wisdom is the kind of wisdom that becomes effective in affecting positive change. Jealousy is when you see something good happening to someone else, instead of getting you to do that action, it stops you. It prevents you from accomplishing because you're too busy being jealous and you find fault. You're like, ah, that, it's not really that generous. (laughs) You know, he he gave in, in order to impress other people. Instead of seeing someone giving and then going, oh, I should give too. Yeah? Jealousy. So jealousy prevents us from accomplishing anything. Specifically good. So when we see other people happy, if we, ha- we have jealousy, we, we, we're not able to rejoice when other people are enjoying themselves, when other people are doing well in the world. 
we, we criticize. And, and this kind of criticizing is an obstacle to accomplishing our own purposes. If you look at it, you can really see how jealousy prevents us from achieving the good that we see other people enjoying. Um, then discernment, the wisdom of discernment. There, the afflicted emotion or the afflictive emotion is passion or attachment or desire or lust. Avarice. Wanting to possess. Yeah, this insatiable. And here, the lack of discernment, another way of putting it is, right, the opposite of that discernment, is there is a cloudiness over whatever it is. Then, not only there is a clouding over, there's also an, an element of exaggerating. Oh, I like that thing so much. Because blah, 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 blah. I was telling you last Sunday about malas, right? Oh, that mala. Oh, my gosh. It's so special. You know. Buddha did say, Bodhisattva is the best one. <laughs> But now it's really expensive. Oh, but that's giving up attachment, so you should spend the money. <laughs> they don't have. Yeah, yeah, you don't have, exactly, you know. And so all kinds of ex- exaggeration, right, gets imputed on that object. And there's so no discernment. And, and working around now, equality. So this equality. Um, when we don't see this equality, what is the result? Pride. Pride. Me king. Right? In Tibetan, pride. Literally, the compound is me king. I king. <laughs> I'm best. Nagya. In Tibetan, me king. <laughs> I like that definition for pride. (laughs) Me king. Right? And that's so innate to all of us. Me king. (laughs) That's not not, uh, seeing the equality of ourselves and others. Then, this mirror-like wisdom, right? Um... So this mirror-like wisdom, um, the, the quality there mm, of mirror-like wisdom is the ability to just take it, right, without any judgment. Uh, but it also, also has a sense of like speed. The minute you put an image in front of the mirror, it, it doesn't take like you know, time 
for the image to turn up. It's instantaneous. So anger has that quality of like immediately kind of striking back. And so that is where this this anger with the um, that particular wisdom. When it's lack of that wisdom, then it's anger. So, so they talk about, especially in tantric material, they talk about how all these five afflicted emotions, afflictive emotions, can be taken onto the path. But, but that kind of expression has led to people thinking that, oh, you know, I could still, you know, you know, lie, steal, cheat, debauch, and be Buddha. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, it's not taking these five afflictive emotions in that way. It means if you work with these afflictive emotions, the first level of working with them is to um, recognize their faults. To recognize the faults with these afflictive emotions. That's the first. So that's called the path of abandonment. You see their faults, you see how they can be harmful, so you want to abandon them. So that's the path of abandonment. A more subtle approach, they say, is the path of transformation. So you see, now you see their faults, but you also see how their faults, right, can also be turned around, transformed in that sense not literally, more figuratively, that anger can be turned against itself. Can be turned against itself. Just as Shantideva says, if you want to be angry, let's go look for the right object to be angry about. (laughs) (laughs) or, or, Or the wrong object, whether it's others or self. Sometimes there can be also a lot of self-hatred. It says, let's go identify the true object of anger. As it turns out, the true object of anger is the afflictive emotions. Uh, He has this kind of, this thought exercise that he gives. Um, That's another class. Mm. So that's like transforming, so to say. On the basis of seeing that anger you transform that anger. Then there is the path of recognition. And then what it's saying is to recognize that anger itself has no substance to it. Has no reality to it. By definition, samsara and the engines of samsara and the fuel of samsara has no basis. Has no basis. It's mistaken. So if we see that, if we recognize that, in its root, that's what enlightenment is. Here we're not talking about there are three ways, please choose one. (laughs) Here we're talking about the same problem from this perspective you see this about what to do with it from this perspective you see this 
and know what to do with it. From this perspective, you see this and you know what to do with this. So you should not say, oh, the path of recognition is the highest. I am, I belong to that. <laughs> I just recognize. Recognize that anger is going on. Get the hell out of my face. <laughs> Liberated. No. It doesn't mean that, but I, I'm not, I'm joking, but I'm also serious. A lot of people think, oh, I'm now practicing Tantra, or I'm now practicing Dzogchen, you know, but like nobody wants to be around you. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like, oh, there's a lot of Dzogchen, what an asshole. <laughs> it's misapplication, you know, thinking that, oh, I can recognize all my afflictive emotions. Now I'm doing pretty good. Uh, as well, if you are too kind of obsessed or stuck with thinking that it's all about abandonment, then you have constant fear of the afflictive emotions. And then it becomes kind of, it can, not that it will, but it can become very neurotic. That means you don't even understand that even afflictive emotions are causes and conditions and interdependent. No substance to it. So we have these three kind of perspectives that we work with, and these are tools. So we need to know when, in particular situations, take the path of abandonment. Meaning, I'm checking out of this situation because I can't handle it. <laughs> So yeah, when it's necessary, run. Other times, no need to run. Just see it clearly. Ah, and then, because they say, if you really see it clearly, if you, if you really have recognition, the true taste, the true test of the, the, the path of recognition working is that that klesha has no hold over you. Leaves no trace. They say, you know, Rangsha, Rangro. It self arises and it self liberates. Rangsha, Rangro. You see how it arises immediately in the fully seeing that it liberates. That's it. Done. No, you don't feed it. That's true recognition. Not, not the kind of naive recognition, yeah. that kind of pop psychology recognition. We're not talking about that. And again, you know, there might be some benefits to that, even that pop psychology, but that's, that's not what we're talking about when we say, you know, once you recognize afflictive emotions, they are liberated. Here, truly liberated. They have no hold on you. Yeah. This is using wisdom to destroy Yes. Can an afflictive emotion not have a hold on you, but have an energy about it that you need to work with? Uh, that would be part contaminated, part pure. And so this is in a continuum. So that will be somewhere along the path for advanced bodhisattvas. Don't really have a hold on you, but there's still that energy that is causing some stress. 
So you still work with it. On the Buddha end, no stress at all. No, 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 even that energy, so to say. You work with it by seeing its nature? Depends. You know, your skill. Well, this, because this is all coming up for me a lot lately, mm-hmm. but um, let's say that you get angry about something, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of righteousness involved in this. Oh, yes, of course. Get, <laughs> also, we're always right when yeah, we're angry. But you say something like the teachings aren't being um, respected. Mm-hmm. That you get there. There's. I mean, I could have made that up to be angry, yes, yes, like yes, part of my ego. Yes, yes. But are there certain situations where that energy is? It comes up, and it, it's actually bringing up something that perhaps maybe needs to be brought up. Um, and then it makes me think of wrathful deities and that kind of thing as well. So I know I'm getting into another area, but no, no, it is this area. Yeah, or or even like you're being violated, you know, as a person, that energy needs to come up. I mean, it, what what do you mean by need? Well, it's it's giving a direct uh, message to someone that it's a no. You know, you're you're making a clear boundary. Yeah, that's just setting boundaries. Okay. That's just common sense. But okay, then what about if, you're, <laughs> if somebody's? But if, if there's many, I mean, one is a physical thing. Yes. The other is a not respecting. It's all, it kind of all goes under the non-respecting. Either the teaching. Non-respecting what? The first example I gave was the teaching. Uh huh. And then I went over to like you and a person. Yeah. So the first one. Uh, Shanti Deva has something to say about that. Okay, good. Yeah, he very clearly he says, uh, <laughs> if we get upset because other are disrespect, disrespecting, uh, he quotes the Buddha. Buddha says, if you get upset over somebody not respecting what I have taught, you are not my disciple. You're what? You're not my disciple. Now, this is not the father disowning you. Let's not get into the, you know, you have disappointed me. (laughs) What he really means in a subtle way is that that means we have not yet gotten the essence of what he's trying to teach us. And we're all working on it. So this is not like, oh, you're a bad person. It's just that we haven't gotten it yet. The teachings are meant for unentangling. And whenever we use somehow the teachings becomes a form of entanglement, mm-hmm. there's something already that, that we're missing there. Mm-hmm. So we need to work better on it. So it's, it's normal, you know, because you feel precious that these teachings are precious. It's just normal that you're going to get upset when someone disrespects it. But, but the danger there is to, I, I, this is my two cents is to think, now Vajra Wrath is going to come. When in fact, it's just, you know, you have just pissed off my religion, and I'm going to piss even worse on you. It's normal, you know, that, because 
it's, it's part of us kind of being serious about our practice. That's why I say the, the opposite might be this dullness, like do whatever you want, doesn't matter to me. Walk around like a zombie. I think in the two situations, the zombie in a way is more dangerous because it has a semblance of having reached a certain kind of peace. When all that's going on is you're suppressing. Maybe not this lifetime, we say, but future lifetimes, it'll come back all up with a vengeance. Right? So of the two, I would say, no, be fanatical about your dharma. (laughs) But when anger arises in relation to dharma, someone disrespecting dharma, I feel that we need to see clearly this is still an afflicted emotion. And how do I deal with this? And not recruit, you know, Vajra Wrath into this story. Leave Vajra Wrath alone for now. Mm. Better. (laughs) Just to leave it alone. And think, uh, what are compassionate ways to relate, to to respond to this situation? Mm. Now, the issue about boundaries and being violated, I think that's a fine line there of, of being tough, yeah, if you're really tough, if, if you have developed the kind of mental, emotional toughness, then it doesn't matter if people cross that boundary because it won't harm you. But you cannot fake toughness <laughs> and say, oh, I'm a Buddhist practitioner, so let me just lie down and let you just walk all over because that's also not training the mind. There are lots of stories of great masters who let other people walk all over them. But that's just the external level that we're seeing. Then we want to mimic that. Right? We're sort of like, you know, like Christians taking it wrong. It's like, okay, let me get on the cross. (laughs) But you're not saving anyone. Yeah, you're just being dramatic. Yeah, kind of like the the subtle drama queen hanging on the cross. Look, I'm dying for you. You know, that's not that's not Christ-like activity. That's in Christian terms. So in Buddhist terms too, we might think, you know, oh, look at all these great masters, you know, like being abused and everything. I should do that. No, no, no. That's just externally it looks like that. Internally they are training their mind to be tough. Right? Not to be affected. So on the practical level, we have to start with establishing healthy boundaries with people. That's why I said when I was uh, in Arkansas doing Lojong teachings, you know, I said one of the things in the Lojong teachings that they talk about is, this is the mind training teachings, like our dedication, we say, you know, uh, victory to others and take on, you know, the loss ourselves and everyone is better than me. You're all right. I'm always wrong, right? I said, these teachings are to be practiced in secret. There's a lot of wisdom there. Because otherwise, people will take advantage of you. And then otherwise, you will misapply these teachings. And before long, resentment will come. And then backfire. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my two cents. Thank you. Like, you know, it's better to not recruit the justified anger side yet.
Yeah. Yeah. Like just, it wouldn't come up like that if you were had already gotten to that level. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Then the the wrath that we're talking about is a the, the wrath, right? Once since you mentioned that the the wrathful deities, that wrath is more about swiftness mm-hmm. of response, like mirror-like wisdom, mm-hmm. that it very swiftly cut to the chase, cut to the root of the problem, and liberates it with no negotiation, with no like oh you know. Your love, then no, I just, you know, that's it, you know. So the wrath is not so much about, yeah, it's 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 the the swiftness, it's the quickness, it's 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 a very direct energy with no compromise in that sense. Thank you for listening to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting our mission to foster a deeper understanding of the teachings of the Buddha, to build meaningful community, and to integrate contemplative teachings into everyday life. We invite you to make a donation online at udharmanc.com or make a purchase at our store, tibetanspirit.com. Thank you. May all beings benefit.